Thank you, Benji, for uh, leading us in our time of worship. And we'll continue to worship the Lord by opening the Scriptures. And I hope you have your Bibles. It's always good to bring your Bibles to church. After all, we are a Bible-believing church, so let's bring our Bibles or our iPads or whatever it may be and open to chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, to 15 of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to have a look from verses 12 and going through to the end of verse 20, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, your faith also is vain. Moreover, we have even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. Then all those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Trust God will add a blessing to his word. Amongst all the queries in human existence, two deep-seated reservations would kind of top the list and believe it or not, they plague us all to some degree or another. There is the uncomfortable query about death and what it's all about and also a greater uncertainty of life is life after death. What is that all about? And when we put all together the religions of the world, the worldviews, the philosophies and the ideologies of humanity, these two queries, can I suggest, would hold centre stage. The answers? Also, believe it or not, everyone has one. Some correct and some incorrect. The answers vary from person to person, from religion to religion, from worldview to worldview, and this glut of answers, this glut of suggestions about these two queries, buries many in confusion and ignorance and fear and mystery about these two vital realities of life. Well, folks, we're here this morning. I want you to allow the word of God to make clear this issue to each one of you. Because believe it or not, from this moment on, you have no need, none of us here have any need to be ignorant or confused or fearful or, or mysteriously indifferent, can I put it that way, 
No excuse for anyone to be like that. And the reason for this clarity is not because I'm saying it, but it's because God has clearly spoken personally to us about these vital issues of life in his word. And he deals with it in our text this morning that we've read and of the whole of chapter 15 that we're making our way through. And see, he clarifies this human dilemma for us. Right from get-go, can we say, God's truth denounces all man-made ideas, all polluted religious lies, all philosophies of, of, and visions of men as he speaks to us on this vital subject with clarity and complete authority. He really does. Because, folks, you see, it's only God, the eternal, self-existing creator of the universe, the God of the Bible, it's only him who can speak truth about life and death and your existence beyond the grave. It's only him. So that's what we're going to consider carefully this morning for a little while. So we can ask, let's hear and about what God says or how he answers through the Apostle Paul's inspired letter to the Corinthians. Let's see how God answers these two vital questions on death and then what he says about hope beyond the grave. The first point I want you to see is that Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead. So what? Verse 12 kind of leaves a question there for us. Now, for those who have already been with us in this study, as we have already noted, the Corinthian church was not necessarily at this stage doubting the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But what they were guilty of, they were certainly calling to question their own future bodily resurrection. And that was brought about, as we looked at last week, uh, or last time we were together, uh, that was brought about by the culture that they were in, um, where it was governed mainly by Greek mysticism, where everything that was of matter, physical, was all evil, and the only thing that was good was that of spiritual sense. And so they were brought up in this worldview, this culture, and sad to say, as I've often said in the book of Corinthians, the sins of the culture often brush off and become sins of the church. And so this had made inroads into the church, and hence they were doubting their own bodily resurrection. So what Paul does here is he refutes this gross error in their understanding with a cause and effect argument. For those of us who do Bible studies on Wednesday night, which I'd love all of you to do, uh, we go through a yellow sheet and one of the questions are there, what are the cause and effects in this passage? Well, Paul uses a cause and effect argument to refute this error. You see, he understood that every reaction or every action has a consequence or a reaction, okay? He understood that every action has a reaction or a consequence and so he uses this concept to make plain the truth on this whole matter that we're dealing with this morning. He begins this in verse 11, by the way. He begins this in verse 11 by saying, so we preached and so you believed. You see that? In other words, the cause here was we preached and the effect of their preaching was that you believed. 
Now, Paul's preaching, we know, was not about himself. It was certainly not about some other human ideology or some other religion that poked its head up. What he preached was the gospel. This was the good news about Jesus Christ. The, or as Romans, Paul says again in Romans 1.1, 1, 1, it's the gospel of God. He preached Christ to these spiritually dead people and the result of that preaching was that they responded in faith and trust as they were empowered by the Spirit of God. That's why Paul says to them back in chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration, listen to this, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. He'd already told them that. So there's the cause. That's the cause. The very vehicle of God's power is the gospel. And through this cause, through this source, can we say, these spiritually dead to God people were made alive. They were reconciled to him. They were justified by him. It was the power of the gospel that brought about change, their salvation. Why? Because they believed in it. They believed in it. It was the good news message that Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again on the third day according to the scripture as we have in verse 4 of this chapter. That's the power source that God uses, listen to this, that's the power source that God uses exclusively to change spiritually dead people to become alive in Christ and to be reconciled to him. There's no other way, folks. I'll be dogmatic about that. It's not me being dogmatic, but the scriptures are dogmatic. And if you want to go that far, God is dogmatic. This is the only way of salvation. This is the only way of being reconciled to God. It is through the gospel. It's through believing in the gospel. And these Corinthians took all this on board and they were spiritually empowered by the Spirit of God. It wasn't sort of a human intellectual faith. They were empowered by God and they believed and they obeyed the gospel. They repented. Now, this will raise a valid question here. What's so good about this good news if Jesus Christ had to die? Not very much good news now. You know, why did Christ have to die? Now, this important question, it's, kind of, it's important because it answers the, the death query that hangs over every single one of us. What is death all about? Well, firstly, it's important to know that death came about as a result of sin. In other words, the wages of sin is death, as we have in Romans 6 and 23. So sin was the cause. Here's another cause and effect. Sin was the cause and death was the effect. You got that? When sin came into the world, and it did come into the world, Adam and Eve were created perfect 
and sinless. But they chose to rebel against God. And, and you can read that about that in Genesis chapter 3. And so when sin came into the world was the very day that God's death curse was passed upon all mankind. For we all, every single one of us, like Adam, have sinned. And you can read chapter 5 of Romans, verse 12, and it says this. this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death passed to all men because all sinned. Both physical death and spiritual death. Spiritual death means being cut off from God. Both were the effect of Adam's sin, which, by the way, none of us would deny we have perpetuated in our lives. It runs through our veins by nature. Hence, we are also sinners by practice as well. So man's just punishment is both physical and spiritual death. The wages for our sin is death and an eternal banishment from the presence of a holy, just and a righteous God. That's bad news, folks. That's real bad news. John chapter 3 verse 18 says, We are already condemned. But it doesn't end there, praise God, right? Because God who is also holy and just and who cannot look upon sin, He's righteous and so sin must be dealt with. God is also merciful. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5. He, that is God, is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even, listen to this, even when we were dead in trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. In other words, Jesus Christ, out of love and mercy, bore our sin and paid the price. It was a ransom price, by the way, a ransom price that God demanded. And God demanded a a ransom price being the death of an innocent. And you see types and shadows of that all the way through the Old Testament, where animals were sacrificed in place of, blood was shed in place of the sins of the people. So a ransom price was demanded for sin. It was demanded by God for our deliverance from sin. Hence Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. That's great news. He willingly died on the cross in our place to satisfy God's righteous demands against our sin. And God accepted that sacrifice on our behalf. That's why the divine death sentence hangs over every sinner. That's why there's so much query of the unsaved. I was just thinking of those who are mourning in even in Adelaide this very day. Those who are outside of Christ, they have no hope and mourn they should because there's nothing for them, they might say in their belief, beyond the grave. Or perhaps there's a question mark. Most likely there is a question mark. I would say if you dig deep, every single one has a question mark. Jesus Christ died to remove the sentence that hung over us. He died to remove our condemnation. That's why the Romans, he says in Romans, Now therefore to the believer, there is no more condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. 
This is the good news of the gospel. Now this raises another question, of course, a very valid question. Where does this leave you? Let me enlighten you. I want to be plain and upfront here. I don't want to make anything difficult for you to understand. You are either still dead in your sins and face an eternity of torment beyond the grave. In other words, God's death sentence still hangs over you and still in your sins when you die, you will have and suffer eternal punishment. Or, or, in faith, you have responded to the gospel, like some of these Corinthian believers in this ancient text, you have responded to the gospel in faith, and now, like I trust so many of us here this morning, are alive to God in Christ, through faith, and face an eternity of being with the Lord in heaven. I hope you're in that number. You see, physical death, none of us can escape. Yes, even Christians and believers die, we do. By the way, that's a consequence of Adam's sin. These old bodies, they get old and they get cranked down and they do die. But you know what? Those who belong to the Lord, those who belong to Jesus Christ through faith in him and have believed the gospel upon death, you know what the Bible tells us? They are instantly absent from the body and present with the Lord, according to 2 Corinthians 5.8. That's a great hope, isn't it? Death, where is this thing? Grave, where is your victory? It's not a victory. We're with the Lord. Death is not the end. So it's one another, one or the other. You see, death levels us all. It does. It's the greatest leveler of all mankind. It surely does. But before, let me say this, but before old man death strikes, eternal realities can be blissfully anticipated or they need to be fearfully dreaded. Why? Because there is a future literal bodily resurrection. You get that? Where we as literal human beings will stand before the Lord and will bow our knees before the reigning king of the universe and give an answer of the life we've lived. Now that's what the Corinthian believers here in our text were really confused and they were calling to question. And this is what Paul wants to put right in their understanding. So he refutes this error. He refutes this error by turning the evidence, that is, the effect of the gospel, in their lives into proof that they were way off target in believing that there was no bodily resurrection. He says, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? In other words, you accepted and responded in faith to the spirit-empowered gospel of Jesus Christ, so how come some of you are now stopping short and believing that a bodily resurrection awaits you as well? How come? What's the deal? Folks, the whole of scripture from Genesis to Revelation speaks of the Lord who would suffer and die and be raised from the dead. This truth is fundamental. It's pivotal to the whole gospel message of the Bible. Matter of fact, without the resurrection, there is no gospel. There's no good news. 
Paul has already stated back in verses 3 and 4 of this chapter that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on, again on the third day according to the Scriptures. But now Paul is very concerned about some of these Corinthians who were doubting this. So he launches into what I call a negative Just say for a moment, if you were right, which you're not by the way, he says, but just say you were right in the way you were thinking. This is how it'll go down, if, if you were right. That's the kind of argument he uses in this next section in verses 13 to 19. And so he begins in verse 13 at the point of their faulty thinking. Okay? And uh, he gives them seven horrendous consequences if their doctrine is true. And we're just going to track briefly through those seven. By the way, there are four theological consequences and then three personal consequences, one that really deal with the individual. First one is, if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. That's what Paul says. In this if, just say you are right for a moment, which you are not. And so Paul begins with the most logical, slanderous conclusion of, of this erroneous thinking. The Corinthians had, you see, they had failed to make the connection between Christ's bodily resurrection and their own resurrection, hence the error. Let me just stop there for a moment and listen carefully. Wrong doctrine or wrong thoughts about God is certain and always will lead to error. When we allow our own ideas or the culture's ideas or whatever ideas are out there to hold sway and to supersede what God has revealed in his word about himself and his ways, false doctrine will soon creep in and we'll be living like those who we shouldn't be. Hence Paul simply says this, denying your own resurrection means that you deny Jesus Christ arose. That's what he says. Now that's serious theological error. Based on what? Based on human ideas of the culture around them. That's by the way, it's calling God a liar by refusing to accept his word as inerrant and true. And the scripture from cover to cover speaks of a risen, alive and ruling and reigning Lord. It really does. And the Corinthians, especially those Jewish believers, which were some of them, who would have known the Old Testament, should have known this. And they would have known this. Yes, Jesus suffered, he died as the perfect God-man for sinners. But God raised him from the dead according to his own word and his power. We have this recorded in the Old Testament. We have it recorded in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, chapter 10 and chapter 13. We have it recorded in the Epistles. All are centered around the truth of the risen Christ. Biblical evidence of this historical event is very, very clear and central to the story of the Bible. The Apostle Paul, remember, or the Apostle John, remember, in the Revelation, he was caught up in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And uh, 
And when caught up in this heavenly vision on Patmos Isle where he's being kept prisoner, this is what it records in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. And when I saw him, that's it, he saw Jesus, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Hallelujah. Christ arose. Amen. Amen. Second consequence. If there is no resurrection, our preaching the gospel or preaching the gospel was and always would be a total waste of time. It would be vain. It would be just like a puff of wind coming and gone and disappearing. It simply means the words explaining the gospel, what I'm doing here this morning and what you do uh, wherever you go, your evangelism, your talking to your friends about uh, how wonderful Jesus Christ and his ability to, to, uh, to save them and, and, and you, as you deal with the gospel, all that would be a waste of time because it has no substance and no meaning of truth in them. After all, what a foolish thing to do. Why would you preach about the eternal salvation benefits flowing from a man, even a good man, who himself still lies dead in the grave. No credibility in that, right? No credibility in that at all. This is why I can't understand men who worship Buddha and all this sort of thing. These guys are dead. And the Muslims who worship kind of Muhammad. Muhammad supersedes Jesus Christ. He's dead! We also see... That faith would be worthless. No resurrection would mean that our faith in the Lord would be also totally useless. You see, if preaching lacks quality and substance, then placing our faith in the message would also be, would be vain, it would be pointless, it would be worthless, right? A dead saviour, by the way, is contradictory. He's often referred to in the scriptures as saviour, without even mentioning specifically the resurrection, but the word saviour, if Jesus Christ never rose from the dead, is contradictory. It's a paradox. After all, if Christ did not rise from the clutches of death, which is by way, death which is by the way, Satan and sin's ultimate victory. That's, 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 their, that's their, their beef. If they can get you dead, they're happy. They've already got sinners. Every single one of us were born sinners spiritually. But if they can take you from being spiritually dead to physically dead, they're happy. They've won, as far as you're concerned. But Christ arose from the dead. He rose from the dead. We are faith is not in a powerless God. Because our, our, our Lord Jesus Christ, he never bowed to and he never succumbed to Satan's victory of death. Uh, he defeated death by his resurrection. He is more powerful than Satan ever will be. Folks, if Jesus did not rise, we will not rise and be delivered from this body of sin and death and enjoy eternal salvation. Just think of the Hall of Fame. You know the Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter 11? And it's recorded there of all those men and women of faith. Why? 
If Jesus never rose, their faith would be in vain. They were tortured, we read. They were mocked. They were torn asunder. They were fed to wild beasts. Why? Because they were men and women of faith in what God had promised without ever realizing and seeing the promises fulfilled. But they trusted in him. You see, if Christ was not raised, their lives of faithfulness would have been all for nothing. A total waste of time. Also, if we are found to be false witnesses of God, another result of this, if just say if you were right kind of argument, what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that if this error is true, then we preachers of the gospel would be preaching lies. We as God witnesses would be all lies because we give witness of the resurrection when all the time there was no such thing, if what you are saying is true. The truth is we would, we would also be calling God a liar. How dare we even consider that? Our witnessing the gospel would be blatantly attacking the honour and integrity of God by testifying that God has raised Christ from the dead when all the time he had not. If this error was true. Folks, if the resurrection was not true and completely falsified by the New Testament writers, we might as well throw this Bible that we have in the bin. It certainly would be, if that was true, a worthless document that no one should ever trust in. But let God be true and every man a liar. Romans 3, 4, right? Not the other way around. Let God be true and every man a liar. Then we move to three personal consequences if there is no resurrection. We've done four theological ones, now we're into the personal ones. We see this in verses 16 to 19. These consequences still have theological outcomes, but they specify how individual believers would be affected if this error was true. And so after restating his major argument, if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised in verse 16, Paul now brings to bear these damning consequences if there was no resurrection. And so having already spoken how faith would be worthless in such a situation, he comes to verse 14, he states a shocking, or in verse 14, he now states a shocking reality if this error is followed through to its logical outcome. And this is what he says, you're still in your sins, verse 17. You're still in your sins. As I was looking at this, I decided that this has got to be the most terrifying situation for anyone to be in including every single one of us here this morning. If you are still in your sins, you should be living fearfully and ready to drop to your knees before a holy God and repent and cry out for mercy and ask him to be saved because our times are in his hand. No No one knows when our last minute on earth has come. And so what this means in the context here is if Jesus never rose from the dead, sin and Satan have gotten the victory and that means our sins are not paid for. They're not atoned for. 
Why? Because Christ has lost the battle to set sinners free. And hence we're still in our sins. This is what this means. And that means we remain spiritually dead and damned for eternity in hell when we die. Because why? We're still in our sins. Folks, if Jesus Christ is not alive today, He cannot be our deliverer. He cannot be our saviour from sin. Because why? We are still dead in our trespasses and sin. Ephesians 2. Now that's seriously bad news. If it were true. But praise God, we do know from the Scriptures that God did raise Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. And as Romans 4, 24, 25 says, He was delivered up for our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Jesus is alive, folks. Secondly, we see, if this were true, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And even in the Corinthians' time, there were those who have believed and, and passed on. They've died. We see this in verse 18. And so those who had trusted in, in, in a risen Christ, if this era true, it was all for nothing. Those dearly departed saints that we all know, even from this congregation, the apostles at way back, and every man and woman, bluntly put, if Christ never arose... These dear folks are in hell. What a dreadful outcome if there was no resurrection. But praise God, it is not true. For in Christ, even though asleep in Christ, it says here, we are assured of a resurrection. For we read in First Thessalonians 4.16, For the dead in Christ shall rise. Amen? Very clear. Very clear. And finally, if we go, there were no resurrection. To hope in Christ would be a pathetic and a foolish way of living. It really would be. In other words, if there is no resurrection, if there was no resurrection, our hope in Christ is hopeless. I've heard some people talking about the hope here this morning, the hope that we have in Christ. And it's real. It's not a hope like, I hope I get a new job this week. Or I hope the weather's fine tomorrow. No, no, no. This is a hope that's instilled in us by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. Okay? Living a life of sacrifice in this world. If there was no resurrection, living a life of sacrifice in this world, living a life where we are called to deny ourselves and to deny ourselves of its pleasures... Living a life like that would be a total waste of time. It would be a joke, to say the least, of living a life in hope of a future eternal life with a blessed risen Saviour. It would be a joke. We might as well eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. If Christ never arose. There is no Christ for us to hope in, no bodily resurrection to anticipate, no heaven to look forward to. We are fools to be pitied, believing like we do, folks, and living like we do. Now, folks, all is the case if Jesus never rose from the dead. 
That's what this whole argument, that's what Paul, this is how Paul is putting his whole argument across to uh, his ancient readers and for us here this morning to encourage us and to warn us and to instill in us the truth about these two vital matters of life. But we know that this is not the case, right? We know that this is not the case, that Jesus remains dead. Paul has taught these Corinthians that this is definitely not the case. We certainly aren't those to be pitied. A matter of fact, I'll go as far as saying, we are those to be envied by those still outside of Christ. Why? Because we are the sons and the daughters of the living God. We've been made alive. We don't even die in that sense. As the scriptures say, we sleep in Jesus. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Yes, these old bones and flesh go into the grave, but one day they will arise and be reunited with our spirits and we will be forever forever with the Lord. We're not to be pitied. We're to be envied. Let us be encouraged with this absolute clarity on this matter. And as we leave this room this morning, let's understand that Paul's summary in verse 20, where it says, but now, he kind of sums it all up and caps it the whole argument off. But now, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Amen to that. We're going to be getting a little bit more into that next week, God willing, and looking at what the first fruits mean. But Christ has been raised. Not might be, not maybe. Has been. And you know what? We're going to follow him. We're going to follow him. Folks, I'm one day going home to be with the Lord forever. Are you? I see Karen nodding here. Because he lives, I have a certain hope of what's before me. Do you? I see one or two more nods. I know if the Lord does not come first, and that's another aspect, the Lord may come into the air and we may be caught up to be with Him without passing through death, and that's a wonderful thing. But whatever, even if I die, as the hymn writer says, one day I'll cross the river. A euphemism of death. I'll fight life's final war with pain. Another euphemism of death. And then as death gives way to victory... I'll see the lights of glory and I'll know he lives. Amen. What's your answer to the query of death and life beyond the grave? What is it? I trust it's Peter's answer. The Apostle Peter in First Peter chapter 1 verse 3. This is what he said. Blessed be the God. I trust by faith this is your answer. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. May God bless us and his word to each one of us this morning. I think we're going to have a song bench. Is that right? Yeah.